0: 1999 the podcast is a production of the cage club podcast network for more podcasts on movies comics and all things pop culture head to cageclub.me to contact us with questions comments or just to say hi send us an email at 1999 at cageclub.me you can find me on twitter at probably real JB and joey at soulpot and you can follow the show on twitter at 1999 the podcast to support the show please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts The show was written, produced, and edited by us. Welcome to 1999 The Podcast. I'm John Brooks. And I'm Joey Lewandowski. And today we find ourselves in July of 1999, Joey. And coincidentally, this movie and our next one were both released in the U.S. in the very same week. What a week. What a week. What a week! Absolutely. So, determining who got to go first uh, came down to a personal call on my end. There
1: was such internal strife here that I was like, "I don't know any of this," but you, you, you struggled, you, you grappled with the decision of what comes first.
0: I, I did. Um, so, I decided that I'm just going to base it on my own. Uh, I guess prejudices is not the word, but my own personal experience um, of how I saw these two movies. So one of these two movies got a limited release run starting on July the 14th um, before it went wide release two weeks later. Um, and it just so happens that I stood in line around the block to see it at the Neptune Theater in Seattle during its limited release run. Wait, hold
1: on. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I don't think we've talked about where geographically you were in 1999. Were you in Seattle the entire year?
0: Um, guess. <laughs> That's a really good question. Because
1: I just I, I know that you live in the Pacific Northwest, but I yeah. picture you as either New England or Brooklyn and nowhere else. But like, was were you in Seattle in 99?
0: So I was in Seattle for the summer of '99. So a lot of the summer movies, okay, um, okay, 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 are going to be are going to be Seattle. So Phantom Menace, I first saw actually, I first saw in Massachusetts. Um, so uh, just to give you a little <laughs> rundown of where I was in '99 throughout yeah, the entire it. year, I was in college. So I was um, like three quarters of that year I was in Ithaca, New York, where I saw a lot of these movies. Well, that's new too. Okay, okay um i had a bunch of friends in new york city so i would visit them sometimes so i saw some of them in new york city um and uh spent a little bit of time in boston early the summer of 99 with uh, my friend jake weiskopf Um, and then so the rest of that summer i was in seattle so a bunch of these movies i saw in seattle um one of them which we'll talk about in the next round of course is a very Seattle movie uh, but we'll get to that later and uh then uh, th- towards like the end of the year so like the, the prestige um academy award films that we're going to talk about one of those pretty soon uh I would have seen
1: in, in in Ithaca because I was gotcha okay okay the okay the year um and I was in New Jersey seeing none of these movies <laughs>
0: So this one, I was lucky enough that the Neptune Theater, which is a great theater in Seattle, Washington, um, one of the theaters chosen for the limited run of of today's movie, uh, which stars Heather Donahue, Michael C. Williams and Joshua Leonard as themselves, or rather, I guess people who happen to share their exact same names. We'll get we'll talk about that in the episode (laughs) Uh, and written and directed by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez is the Blair Witch Project. This is an exciting one. I'm really looking forward to this one. I this is a really a movie that I have a lot of like conflicting opinions about, but um ultimately is is a I think a a landmark
1: movie and a
0: overall a, a, a great one too. Um what are your
1: initial feelings about The Blair Witch Project? I like it. I've seen it once. Like most of these movies, I will have seen it once. Well, no, not there's a blend. Uh but yeah, I I like it a lot. It's one that and we might talk about this in the episode that I wish that I could have seen during the hype cycle of it. Like I'm Mm -hmm. sure a bunch of the other movies this year, this in 1999 that we'll cover the podcast I saw after the fact, obviously. And so like a lot of the impact of those movies is not quite lost on me, but it wasn't as impactful as it had been. If I had seen this in theaters, like opening weekend or whatever, like Mm -hmm. I sort of see most things now. Um, but yeah, no, I like it. I think it's a really good movie. I'm very interested to hear what our guest has to think about it, uh, because I know that she is a super fan of this movie.
0: Well, we'll talk about her in, in, a, in a moment. I don't want to jump um, in. I'm sorry. No, it's interesting you say, like, like, you used the word hype there. And I think this is, I was thinking about this a lot that year. Um, it really was kind of the 1990s where the word hype to discuss how a movie is marketed um, became sort of part of the common parlance. And I remember that, you know, people would talk about like the Phantom Menace as a movie that was really hyped. And it's like, is that the right word? Because... Did you really need to, to like anticipated? develop hype? is
1: that a better word?
0: It, well, yeah, and we talked about, when we talked about Phantom Menace, about the anticipation, right? And that being a a, a big, um, a word that we should associate with that movie. Blair Witch is a really interesting case study in this because it is a combination of like hype and what we call buzz. And I think those are two different things, right? Like when you say a movie is overhyped or a movie is like highly buzzed about, you're not saying the same thing, Do right? you think,
1: is is buzz organic and hype is manufactured?
0: I think so. And the okay. thing about the Blair Witch Project is that it's a really interesting combination of both of those things, right? Like the buzz that was generated was heavily manufactured. And that's really part of sort of what this movie is. So it's really hard to know like, whether or not Blair Witch is a a product of more buzz or more hype or some really interesting and unique combination of both of those things. But... Either way, I mean, this movie really is more of an experiment or kind of a project than it is a, a film. Um, and we'll talk more about that as well. when we, when we Well, it's
1: aptly especially. titled The Blair
0: Witch Project and not the Blair Witch Film. And that's not an accident, right? Because there's sort of an in-world, there's an in-world reason for that. But there's also sort of an external world reason yeah. for that, right? Because they are doing a project, like a, like a, a school, you know? On. Would you
1: say, and I I don't know the answer because I haven't thought about the other movies, is this the most experimental movie we'll cover for this podcast? Probably, right?
0: I think so, yeah. Yeah, I think it is. Because um, there's, like,
1: there's other movies that have come out either before or since then that have been as or more experimental. But in terms of like what sets this year apart and all of the like movies that people remember like this is the weirdest one even though like it winds up being kind of like now you watch it now it's like almost more normal because it's like we've, we've grown mm. accustomed to what it does but like in terms of what it was doing in the time at the moment it is probably the weirdest and most experimental and like could have flopped spectacular i think if it flopped you know we we just probably wouldn't be talking about it, or maybe we would with a different lens altogether right but like
0: yeah. I think in terms of like being overtly experimental, um, in that it was a movie that built its the whole premise of the movie is that the the limited budget was like a feature, not a bug. <laughs> right. And so yeah, yeah, yeah. in terms of in terms of like pulling off that sort of high minded idea, um, and then also the you know, we wouldn't be talking about it if not for the rampant success of the movie, which I'll get to in a second. But yeah, I, I think When we talk about 99, one of the sort of underlying features of that year, as we talked about with with Brian Raftery, was that there was a lot of like rule breaking and groundbreaking and some of it more subtle. I think in like the Matrix, in some ways, that's more subtle Um, in Blair, which it's a lot more sort of like, let's try this and see if we can make a hit movie out of it. Um, And and in in that case, yeah, I think it sort of stands alone um, in that in that year um either way so it's produced on a budget of less than a half a million dollars and gross 248.6 million at the box office pretty good return pretty good return freaking nuts and I should I should mention that like I think the actual movie itself like actually making it was less than a million um and and the half a million estimate has to do with the marketing campaign it was as big a part of the movie as the movie itself was Um, it was 1999's 10th highest grossing movie but and this is interesting it never debuted at first place huh okay okay so a lot of that had to do with the the competition um on on the one hand uh it opened wide against the julia roberts and richard gear vehicle the runaway bride which we will talk about at some point but um the second Week it was in wide release, was against an obscure little film called The Sixth
1: Sense. Huh. (laughs) (laughs) And this Um, is also while the other movie that you're grappling with in terms of the release is also like in theaters.
0: Right. Man,
1: I know that like the whole point of the podcast is there's a lot of good movies that year, but that still seems crazy.
0: It is wild. It's wild that you'd make a a quarter of a billion dollars and never be in first place. Like that is that is just a I don't I don't know that there's ever gonna be that statistic ever again.
1: Like, you know, a lot of movies make that, not a lot of movies, but a lot of movies make that. And it's like a hundred million dollar opening and then it just goes Mm -hmm. away and like something else takes its place. And like they all like but yeah, it doesn't it's not like fifty million four weeks in a row that doesn't win the box office. Like that's crazy. Well, and also I think the other part of, of why what sort of explains that
0: is that it was a hit movie in its limited release as well. So it was released in 27 theaters and in 27 theaters made $1.5 million, which is absolutely bonkers. Like, so it's that like everything, a,
1: everywhere, all at once of 1999.
0: Yeah, I think so. And like, that's why I had to literally, like, it was a line around the block to get into the Neptune for every screening of that movie. And you had to be there like an hour and a half early to get so into it. So was it the
1: only theater in Seattle showing the movie?
0: Yeah, probably until, yeah, until it's wider release. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. And it was really fun. I mean, it was a bunch of like you know, Seattle hipsters just like waiting in line for like a 10 p.m. showing of this really weird random movie. And I um, know
1: it's five yeah, years after the cool. fact and Grunge had died, but I'm imagining you're all dressed like Kurt Cobain, like, hey man, are you over it? No, no, still not One, over it, man.
0: One hundred, Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that's fine to imagine that because why, hey, not? that A Rod uh, kid on the Mariners is pretty good, <laughs> huh? Yeah, man. <laughs> Like the cut of that kid's jib. Yeah. Uh, I believe he was on the Rangers by then. 99?
1: No, I think he was. Oh, you're right. You're right. No, he
0: was That's, you're right. You're right. It was until, because he was part of the, of the, the 2000, uh, where they won like 175 games whatever it was uh a lot of games anyway yeah. i might have just completely botched that statistic in that year but that's i fine. think they won uh, like
1: 116 um, in 2001 when they had Ichiro. i think that, that was the it. one yeah. something like and that. also
0: ken griffey jr and anyway this is way off topic
1: 1999 baseball the podcast
0: <laughs> let's get back to blair witch uh the story really begins at the sundance film festival at the beginning of that year so this is from a january 25th 1999 edition of the la times I'm gonna read quite a bit of this because i think it's it's pretty it's It's an interesting little little relic of the past. Uh, So the LA Times says the following. The scariest movie of the 1999 Sundance Film Festival, a mock documentary about three supposed student filmmakers chasing witches in the haunted Maryland woods, debuted here to a packed house just after Midnight Sunday, setting off an all-night negotiation and turning a pair of no-name writer-directors into stars. Just before the sun rose over the ski slopes, Artisan Entertainment made the first buy of the festival, paying between $1 million and $2 million for worldwide rights to the Blair Witch Project, a raw, low-budget thriller that some were calling the movie equivalent of garage band Rock. It's basically like a home movie of three kids going into hell, said Blair Witch co-writer and co-director Eduardo Sanchez. Working through the night, Artisan, which made what many consider the best buy of last year's festival, Darren Aronofsky's Pie, shut out Fine Line Cinema and Miramax, among others, that had planned to begin initial discussions at daybreak. Meanwhile, the filmmakers, five Florida-based horror nuts aged 27 to 35, who just weeks ago had their water shut off for lack of payment, were suddenly the talk of the town. With a first-look arrangement for future projects with Artisan, which also secured a deal for a Blair Witch sequel, the five friends watched their fortunes change literally overnight. So that's like the, the great, rags to riches story that was one of the sort of genesis stories of the Blair Witch project where people were like oh there's this movie that came out at sundance and everybody had this bidding war over it and it's like this new thing you've never seen before and like when we talk about the organic buzz like that's kind of where it starts long before the really elaborate ad, ad campaign took over but um there you go so it really does begin begin in january that this movie sort of was on the radar of a lot of people
1: and we're in may right mm-hmm we're in July. July. Okay. We're in yeah. May in real life, though. That's what I was asking. That's. We are literally. I totally ch- 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 yes. new when this movie actually came out.
0: It is currently May. <laughs> yeah. 2022. Um, Artisan, interesting. Uh, it was an interesting little company that sort of came into existence, did a a lot of really big things in a couple of years in the late 90s, and then kind of faded into obscurity. Um, It only existed as artisan from 1998 through 2005, but 1999 was pretty much inarguably its best year, uh, featuring Blair Witch in addition to four other films that we will eventually cover here. uh, The Buena Vista Social Club, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, Stir of Echoes, and The Limey, which I know is a favorite of yours.
1: I've seen two of those. Can you guess which two? You know one of them for uh, sure. I'm going to guess it's Ghost Dog. Yeah, because of our friend Brian Scully, which was just like this is a good movie. I'm like, "Okay." Yeah, it is a good movie.
0: Um you will very much like bueno versus Social Club, and I'm really interested to see what you say about Stir of Echoes because I think it's good. I think it's a good movie and I think it's it's held up pretty well. Okay. Um but but we will well that's that's quite a ways off, but I'm excited to talk about that with you. Um, So the seven months between its debut at Sundance and its wide release in theaters became as much a part of the movie as the movie itself, featuring an unprecedented marketing campaign that included a website with fake news clippings and background data on the Blair Witch lore and a sci-fi channel documentary about Blair's history that acted as a kind of a prequel to the film. Um, It was in a lot of ways the ultimate buzz film, as I said, but one that people were desperate to see in large part as a payoff to the marketing campaign that had led up to it. But it was also well received by critics. So Blair Witch has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 86%. Um, And an 81% uh, Metacritic score, which gives it Metacritic's must-see seal of approval, which is a a big deal. You see the words like imaginative and inventive that often show up in the assessments of the films, of the film and critics' reviews. Um, in, In the New York Times, Elvis Mitchell led off his review by saying, quote, Like a cabin built entirely out of soda cans, the Blair Witch Project is a nifty example of how to make something out of nothing. Nothing but imagination and a game plan so enterprising, it should elevate its creators to pinup status at film schools everywhere. The less generous reviews point to the film resting too much on gimmickry and not enough on story building, like Kevin Thomas in the Los Angeles Times, who called it, quote, a clever, entertaining stunt, no more, no less. Still, most critics acknowledge this inherent flaw while praising the film all the same, like Entertainment Weekly's Lisa Schwartzbaum, who said, quote, As a horror picture, Blair Witch may not be much more than a cheeky game, a novelty with the cool, blurry look of an avant-garde artifact. But as a manifestation of multimedia synergy, it's pretty spooky. All right. Here's something that I'm interested in, though, Joey, and I think this is something that we're going to talk about, again, more, sort of why when when we talk to our guest today. Rotten Tomatoes audience score for Blair Witch Project. Again, its critic score is
1: 86%. Oh, I I have no I don't even know where I would guess what this would be. I could see it being anywhere between like 50 and 100. Okay, it is between 50 and 100.
0: Uh, okay, I'm going to I'm going to now force you into this. Is it on the lower end of the 50 to 100 scale? Below 75.
1: Ah. Uh, so I mm. Yes, I th- I think it's I think it's in the se- I think if I had to pick a, a range, I would say between 70 and 75. That's just where my okay. that's where my bullseye dart is going. That's what I would have guessed, too. It has an audience score of 56 percent. Really? Wow. Yeah. I wonder yeah. how much of that is retroactively people being like, I don't like found footage and this caused it all.
0: So this is yeah, that's what interests me.
1: I because OK, for people who don't know,
0: in general, the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is generally higher than the critics' score, right? Like
1: nine times out of 10. Well, um, unless it's like a real art house film, not an art house right. film, but like there's sometimes like a movie where you're like, oh, I get like critics are gonna like that, but the audiences are gonna hate that, right? It's like those kind of things. But yes, generally, especially for like summer movies and summer blockbustery kind of movie, even right. this isn't a blockbuster, but like it, it sort of has like flavors of that, right? Yes, almost always. And then sometimes are close, but like it's almost people. People who just like movies generally like things more than people who are, get paid to like movies. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and this... I mean, to me, what's so weird about this, again, is as you say, like, this is not... It's not, like, like blue or red or white. Like, it's not one of those where you know the critics are going to be gaga about it, and you might see the audience being like, uh, I don't understand French art house films or whatever. But are
1: those movies this year or no? No, ninety white and blue were 94. 93, 94. No, they were all 93 to 94. Okay. So yeah, but I, I don't know why those came to mind, but that, that just, it's its sort of, a, no, but you no, you're right. You're right. It, it's an example
0: of like when you might expect an audience score to be a little bit lower, not like massively lower. I mean, I don't think an audience would be like, oh, red, <laughs> fuck that. But you know what I mean? It's, it, it's, it's very weird that you have this disparity. And so it kind of begs the question, like, is Blair Witch a movie that is so of its time and needed to be appreciated, like, within that very specific context in order to work really as a movie at all? Um, and is that what's responsible for all of this? So I well, let, we're going to pose that question to our guest today. So, Joey... Who is today's guest?
1: Our guest today is writer, researcher, podcaster, and host of the podcast American Hysteria and Blair Witch Project superfan, Chelsea Weber-Smith.
0: We're going to take a break, and we will be back in a moment with Chelsea Weber-Smith. Hello, Chelsea. It's so nice to have you. How are you?
2: I'm... Recovering from COVID. So I will sound a little bit stuffy, but otherwise I am very happy to be here to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies. So thanks for having me.
0: Um you're so welcome. I immediately thought of you when we came up with the idea for this podcast um for this particular movie, because I know how much you love it and also because you've you've like you've like done research on this on this particular movie oh, yeah. a bit. <laughs> I can't be bothered to do. So um, you know, we're gonna we're gonna rely on you for a bunch of insider insider knowledge. Um, before we do that, you host a podcast.
2: That's right.
0: It's called American Hysteria. This is true. If I got the title right. Um you want to, <laughs> tell people, <laughs> want to tell people what that's all about?
2: Sure, yeah. Our show covers uh American fantastical thinking and sometimes it's moral panics or urban legends or conspiracy theories or kind of any uh any abnormal sort of ideologies, abnormal, who knows what that means. But um departing from what we consider um reality that we share as a collective group of people um and so yeah we it's a scripted show so it's a lot of me talking uh and trying to just bring some of my own passion to some of the strangest stories in our history and figure out why we fear the wrong things and believe in wild stuff.
0: Which we do. <laughs>
2: we sure do. And the Blair Witch Project kind of falls into it being such a uh, prolific hoax as it was.
0: So. Right, right. Yeah, it really does. Like I, a lot of this movie, I mentioned in our very first episode that we recorded um, that, you know, the project word here is really kind of uh, the key word, right? Mm-hmm. Because this is a movie that is so much. In some ways, like less than a movie and so much more than a movie at the same time, right? Like we're almost the, the movie part of the movie is kind of secondary to everything else about it, which is a really cool kind of fascinating and groundbreaking um, experiment in like what a movie can be and like what you can what you can do with it.
2: Absolutely. It's so much more than just I mean, it's a multimedia project, as you said, um, that utilized everything from the media to um, college campuses, message boards. You know, this is a movie that could have only happened in the late 90s um, before the internet became closer to what we know today.
0: When did you first see Blair Witch? In what context and what was the initial viewing experience of it like for you?
2: I saw it probably as soon as it came on home video. So I was 11 in 99. So I would say I was 11 when I saw it. Um, My – Parents went without me, and I was very upset. They went into the theater <laughs> um, on a date, and that was their excuse for not taking me. Um, because we've always we were always a horror movie family, so it wasn't the content; it was um, the situation that left me out. So, because um, at that point I had seen the trailer, and I remember seeing the trailer better even than I remember seeing the movie, and that was yeah. just that thought of like. There, because it wasn't like Texas Chainsaw, where you're like, I know this is fake. Like, this is you. There was a question, especially when you're in your like magical thinking years of like, is there a better age than 11 to like believe in anything? So, like, it was definitely um, the trailer that made me think, and I was already a true crime person. (laughs) So I was like always watching true crime shows and my first thought was like there's no way this is legal and um, <laughs> <laughs> um but you know I immediately went on the website and um Really, I remember I believe I saw first the uh because it was on t v the uh, documentary that they made to accompany the documentary, so the documentary about the documentary that that fleshed out all of the lore um and that that's its own thing, I'm sure we'll talk about, but um mm-hmm. yeah, and and I think just seeing it, i just I thought it was so scary and so much fun. And I showed everybody and uh, I started making the Blair Witch stick figures. That was something I really enjoyed doing and like hanging them in weird places as a prank. So I was a very weird kid. (laughs) 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 So, yeah, it's it was more again, like it wasn't even just the movie. It was all of the mystique that surrounded it that I just I couldn't get enough of it.
0: Yeah, and there's something about those, like, I think, I'm glad you brought up the stick figures, um, because that's one of those things that is so, like, it's so demonstrative of, like, what the movie is, like, what's so brilliant about it, because it's so simple, and so easy to reproduce, and, like, so kind of, like, on its own kind of benign, right? But, but it also was like incredibly weird and haunting and, and terrifying at the same time. So it's like a, it's this like low budget scare tactic that you know just sort of captures the imagination, which is exactly sort of what the whole ethic of the Blair Witch Project is um, as a as kind of a movie and and a, and a project, right? As a multimedia uh, project, absolutely. Joey, you were also 11, as we have Aww. reiterated many times <laughs> on the show. What was your first Blair Witch experience?
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I listened to, at your suggestion, I listened to Chelsea's episode about the Blair Witch. So I knew her history. And I was like, oh, I've lost the edge that I'm like, I can't play the young card anymore because my <laughs> our guest is the same age. But I can now play the sheltered card where I was mm-hmm. absolutely not allowed to watch this for, you know, I don't know how long. I watched this in college, like most of these other movies that we're going to be covering on this podcast, and I don't know what the date was, but I watched in a row for the first time the movie that Chelsea just mentioned, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and then Carrie, and then Blair Witch. Clearly, I was going through something that week (laughs) in some summer in college.
2: Something great,
1: uh, yeah. (laughs) And then Scream a couple days later, and then Who Can Kill a Child, which is a crazy movie, and then Pieces. So like I was sorry, wait, what what was the last one? Who Can Kill a Child?
2: I have oh, no idea what that
0: is.
1: So it's an it obscure doesn't know what it is. It is obscure. <laughs> so it's That's a movie. Dark. I in between I watched The Last American Virgin because I was I was on like an Eli Roth kick and I watched this like interview on YouTube where he's like, here's my five favorite movies that nobody knows about. And so wow. one was the Last American Virgin, one was Who Can Kill a Child. It's basically this couple goes on vacation to this island somewhere and there's no adults around, and it's just a bunch of kids. And it it clearly become or quickly becomes clear that like these kids uh have killed all the adults. And so the whole like question of the movie is like, if you had to to survive, could you kill a child? So, wow. uh, yeah, it kind of rules. <laughs> That's <Yikes>. wild. <laughs> so yeah, so I watched that that week or you know the week after as well. So I saw it in college. I feel like it's the kind of thing where, and we were talking about this a little bit with Star Wars, where I'm a, I'm in a weird age where like I, I feel like if I was a little bit older, I would have been like so into this because I love like what would become like alternate reality games like when cloverfield was coming out like i remember being into that and just like all those kind of like i like falling down the rabbit hole but i was not online when i was 11 my parents were not like letting me watch horror movies and so i just kind of missed this all together and i i kind of I'm i'm bummed because like by the time i was able to see it like i knew you know not not the details of it but i knew that it wasn't real and i feel like mm. At any point, in, if you're able to see this movie in any way, thinking even like 1% that it, it might have been real, yeah. I think that's magical, right? But like, yep. Yep. by the time I saw it, I'm like, oh no, like that's, you know, it's, I, I know it's just a movie. And like, it's, you know, it's it's a good movie that I like, but it's also, I, I didn't have that experience. And I don't know, like, I think like what Chelsea said before, like, I don't think that this kind of thing could be done today like i think going back i don't know if either of you ever seen uh, cannibal holocaust do you, either of you know that have you seen that
2: i actually i've actually just uh watched that for the very first time uh in preparation for an episode we're doing uh so yes i have seen cannibal
1: holocaust <laughs> john, john have official. you seen cannibal holocaust
0: i would not be able to get
1: through 8 minutes of that movie do you it's know like, what it's about or no Yes, so it's basically,
2: I did not know. It's kind of like
1: the, it's kind of like the same thing as this in a way, right? Like it this, is, like yeah. crew goes down to South America and then they go yeah. missing and then they find the footage. But in that movie, like the the aftermath, like and it's something that we'll talk about here, the director like refused to admit that it was a movie. He's like, no, these people mm-hmm. were killed. And, like he went to prison, I believe, because he refused to say no. They're fine, and so like they they went to court to like prove and it was just like this it's this is crazy and, like that's from 1980 so that's like way pre-internet right so like 99 you're able to like get like weird stuff but, like this is i don't know like there's something magical about and like in a weird kind of messed up way where it's just like oh these kids might have died and like we're watching them on tv yeah it's it, you know so i don't know it's 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 special and i i saw it too late and I'm, I'm bummed that i didn't get to see this i didn't get to experience <laughs> it the way that it, like quote unquote should have been seen i think yeah. and
2: cannibal holocaust too like if you watch it near to when you watch the Blair Witch project there's like absolute homages in yeah. Blair Witch mm. like that was definitely their main um inspiration because yeah there were sort of precautions taken to as they did with Blair Witch like making their IMDB page say that they were missing like these different things um they were that was taken i think from Cannibal Holocaust or at least movies around that time
1: And the other thing i want to say that i think one thing like I think it's it's both easy and difficult to compare the two movies, but I think the one thing that *Cannibal Holocaust* definitely has over *Blair Witch* because it's more of like a, a cinematic experience is the score is outstanding and the theme is amazing. And I just want to give props to *Euphoria* for using the *Cannibal Holocaust* theme oh God, on right? season two in the perfect needle drop moment. <laughs> I was just like, I cannot believe, like, like one percent of one percent of their audience has probably seen *Cannibal Holocaust*, and I was just like, I, I, this is this is a moment made for me. So. Uh, if you like Blair Witch, I would recommend see Cannibal Holocaust if you can get through it.
2: If you dare,
1: like if you dare, the
2: hardest of warnings, because they also, you know, that is much closer to what we think of as like a hoax, snuff film. Uh, definitely. Because as much as the Blair Witch, it's just, it's I, I, whatever (laughs) we can move on from Cannibal
1: Holocaust. Let's let's it, all right. This is now 1980. The podcast, and we're talking exclusively about the <laughs> Holocaust. We've been
2: working on our snuff film series, so I'm like so oh. deep in all these snuff film hoaxes. It's so wild. It's gonna be good. Yikes! Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Anyway, the Blair Witch Project. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Yes. Yep.
0: <laughs> 1999. So I was 19 when this came out, and. uh It's funny, like what you were saying about the whole kind of having any kind of doubt that it was real, right? Um, I remember very much by the time I went to go see the movie um, in the theater, I saw it like opening, you know, the opening Friday, I knew everything about how it wasn't real. Uh, I I watched the sci-fi channel special. I I was a big like premiere magazine reader. So I I read about like the movie appearing in film festivals and interviews with the directors. And I knew the ins and outs of how they did it and what they did and why. But there's something so... There was an element of the marketing of this movie that was such a big part of it. That even though they were very upfront about this being fake... There were elements of it that allowed you to like somehow switch that off and pretend that it wasn't, and just like give into that tiny hint of doubt, right? That like this actually was really happening. Yeah, you know the the the, the no name actors, right? The sort of I mean the aesthetic of it, obviously. Um, the the way that the Sci Fi Channel documentary just fit perfectly in with every other documentary about supposedly real paranormal events and that sort of thing. And so it lived in these, like both of these worlds at the same time. So that when you went to go see it, like you knew it wasn't real, but as with all like conspiracy theories, there's that like tiny little 1% chance that it might be that you're still really kind of enamored by. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's what really worked for me. And I saw it. And, uh, you know, a bunch of my friends who have a much higher threshold for horror than I do were like, whatever. And I'm like, I'm not going camping ever. I know you guys like to camp, but like that's not happening now. So that was great and a thrilling experience. But like, I want to go inside with as many lights as possible um, forever. And and uh yeah, it was a it was a really remarkable experience. And I remember also like buying it on VHS. And I don't think I ever watched it on VHS because I was like- I feel like that's the way what? to watch
1: it
2: though. Yeah, oh yeah.
1: I, like It is, but everybody I knew had already seen it. And so like, it's not really rewatchable. You know, like I think, and I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but Chelsea, I think you said something along the lines of like, this couldn't really happen today. Like it had to be made in the 90s. But I feel like- with the way that movies get distributed, you could do something like, like it wouldn't be in theaters, but like there could be like a viral video. I'm sure that there has been that I'm just not thinking of that like goes around YouTube or something that's like this that people are like, is this real? And then like, I feel like the the distribution of that, like, you know, it wouldn't be a VHS tape, but I feel like the underground kind of bootleg of it all, it would have made it feel more authentic and real. Like, oh, this is a copy of this thing that, you know, my friend got or whatever. And like, I don't know how long you could like, keep that lie going but i feel like that could be doable back then or today it just you know it wouldn't make money which i guess is kind of the issue right
2: right and you know what it makes me think of do you guys know or remember the the footage of the man who allegedly got lost in the paris catacombs it came out like 10 years ago no i don't think so and that was part of a documentary on another um i don't know what it was discovery maybe like in the documentary itself seems a little fake about this footage but the footage is so scary i mean it's just in the catacombs literally like someone getting more and more frantic alone and then they drop the camera and they're running and you know oh my God. and i think that's what's so good about blair witch too is like you don't see the monster in this footage and i think that's part yeah. of why it can feel so real is because most of what's happening is happening completely off camera even sound wise it's like there's a, a sense of like that this could be real because there are no monsters.
1: And I think that's what's really effective about this. And this is something that we talked about in an episode we recorded that's not out yet similarly. So there's, there's a collective of editors online that used to go by Racer Trash and they did a version of this movie and they cut together. Like it's really, it's it's more experimental than most of the other things they've done. But what this captures and what they do in that in one segment is like there's very few movies that I think are as effective as Blair Witch at demonstrating terror in a way that like is almost like objectively not scary like there's nothing to be scared about but the way that it builds the world around it feels like the walls are closing in on you and there is a segment at the end of this thing that this recut of Blair Witch uh where they're just like there's a handful of different movies that are are cut together in a way that like makes you feel uneasy in a way that like no other movie is able to do, and so I think what Chelsea's saying is so like that's that's why this works, right? Like, there's if you saw the witch, I think it would be dumb.
2: It would ruin it.
1: And mm. I think the fact that there is no witch, that everything is in your mind, and that so few other movies are as effective at being able to do anything that's even remotely approaching this is remarkable. And that I think is why it works as well today as it did then. As long as you're willing to buy into it, either it's not going to work for you. It's going to work for you. But like, if you're willing to like give it the benefit of the doubt, I think because it's so not basic, but like simple, right? Like, I
2: think it doesn't explain itself. And that's like my favorite part is that like, you know, there are points at which the characters say, oh my God, I think this is like rednecks in the woods or, you know, or it's this phantom of this witch or potentially there's like a child murderer. You know, there's just different possibilities of what it could be. So even though you don't see the monster, you see like remnants of these weird parts of the monster, like what they're leaving behind, like these breadcrumbs. Um, But it allows you to be like, put one foot in reality and be like, maybe there are like weird people in the woods. Maybe there is like some kind of witch in the woods. That's a being that we can comprehend, or maybe it is paranormal. And that kind of lets it be more real because you have to decide whether it's like of this world or not.
0: And that's part of what I think is kind of like the immersive element of it, which is sort of what I was alluding to earlier, which is like Nobody went in to see, well, a few people did. Like that, that probably is true that some people were like, well, what's this movie? And I just assumed it was a documentary. (laughs) And I'm sure there's a few people who are still in the dark about it, whatever. Um, But, you know, again, they went out of their way to be like, here's what it is. They, you know, like Heather Donahue was like on talk shows being like, I'm not dead, right? Before it came out, promoting it and that sort of thing. But the sort of, as you guys allude to the kind of um, central mystery that the characters are enduring, everything is kind of explainable, right? Like everything is like, Oh, it's just punk kids, you know, playing a prank or whatever, or rednecks or like some serial killer on the loose or something that like nothing needs to invoke the supernatural, but then in the totality of it, it leaves just enough of that sort of like sense of, of dread and supernatural and mystery that that sort of drives the movie like in the same way that the the characters are doubting what's happening to them right that tiny bit of doubt as you're watching it of like well is it real you know keeps creeping back in and it's really cool to have that kind of um to, to have built that kind of connection with the the protagonists of the movie um, to make it really kind of immersive and and sort of, um, you know, in your face. Yeah, for sure.
1: Because it, it there, I guess there's a couple different layers here, right? There's like what the, and I think, in, and we can maybe rehash it here, maybe we should, but like what Chelsea describes on her episode about like the improvisational nature of what these actors went through and not really knowing what they were going to find as they were sort of guided remotely through the woods, but there's like what the characters are going through, what the actors are going through, what the actors like pretending to go through as the characters and then what the audience, like there's just all these like parallels, I think, between like what you're seeing on screen and especially for like a horror baby like you, John, like and I say that so lovingly, <laughs> like you're you're more likely to be freaked out because like I think their genuine dread comes across. Yeah. And, it, yeah. you know, just it's the not knowing. It's It's what your brain does to like, it's not like what's scary. It's just I think it's the uneasiness. I think it's the like not really knowing if you're safe or if you're not safe. Because like I think for for most of this movie, I think they're kind of overreacting. Like, and I get that they're worried, but like they're they're in the woods. There doesn't really seem to be like a threat around. It's like their minds that are making it worse. Or, like they're hunting this thing that may or may not be real, and they're freaked out about that. But like. There's nothing that they ever really encounter for most of the movie until they start seeing like, the piles of stick, the piles of rocks and the sticks and whatever that like gives many indication that they're at any in any kind of danger. Like, they might as well just be like in the woods camping. Right. But like it's it's just the acute like the slow burn of like, should I be worried? I might be worried. Am I worried? Should I be worried? I don't know if I should be worried. Like I'm, I'm now I'm freaking now I'm freaking myself out. Right. Like it's one of those kind of so. Yeah. It just well, and it starts with
2: just being lost, right? And realizing that you're lost, which I think I'm I'm a weir- I like I'm really interested in lost in the wilderness stories like especially like the Donner party and these ways that like the unimaginable terror of like slowly realizing that you're lost in the wilderness. And then, you know, that kind of is what I think creates the disease that you're talking about that then allows like the paranormal stuff to come on kind of slowly and like insidiously.
0: So Chelsea, um, talk to us about the way that this movie kind of harnesses the existing kind of underlying (laughs) hysteria is <laughs> <for> a better <laughs> word um, and kind of folklore and anxieties that, that this movie kind of creates a kind of a template for, right? Like it, it sort of takes all these ingredients that um, already exist in our culture and then kind of creates something mm-hmm. as a, as a piece of art. Like, what do you see that, like, what do you, what do you think that they kind of are working from and, and what do they sort of, um, you know, kind of, kind of add into that formula um, that, that you would point to.
2: Well, you know, I mean, there's definitely um, witch trial lore in there. Um, There's definitely kind of like stolen children, um, the child murderer, all of those um, typical (laughs) archetypes that we see from American panics and panics all over the world. Uh, But what I think I find the most interesting In terms of like what I do in the work that I do is that they created like their own urban legend, like a very original piece of folklore that pulled definitely from a lot of historical stuff, but also really like they just made up this entire legend around this thing called the Blair Witch and all of the different ways that it has appeared throughout time, like for example, The Like I mentioned, the child murderer who is potentially possessed by this force um, or else the story of a bunch of people who were killed ritualistically at Coffin Mm -hmm. Rock, right? Or seeing like a white hand rise out of a river and pull a child down beneath the stones of the river. Like just this like beautiful, like esoteric, weird imagery that they – It definitely pulled from other sources, but I think it's just... Really, a testament to what they were able to do because, like you mentioned, the sci fi documentary uh, really fleshes that out, and so did the website. You could go on the website and you could find testimonials of people who live in the town, you could find all of these different things on message boards that were planted by the crew, Um, and you could find just little breadcrumbs that they were dropping that were fleshing out this urban legend and you know they used a real town they use these things that that made it seem so real and on the edge of reality like urban legends are so you know there's satanic panic of course um Uh but i think (laughs) one of the things i respect so much about this movie is that they didn't play into the satanic panic as much as they easily could have in 1999 i mean that's know the trench coat mafia year that's like marilyn manson and all of this like very very satanic related stuff that kind of was was returning in its new uh late 90s form Uh, and i think it could have been so easy for them to go that route but instead they went a very uh they they like had enough of that enough ritual stuff and they were gonna actually add a bunch of satanic uh, symbols in the house at the end where you see all the handprints of all the children which by the way were made by all the children of the crew which is so adorable they all got to go <laughs> oh, and make the house all scary together um, but yeah they were gonna do that and for whatever reason they didn't and that would have changed it if you just saw a bunch of pentagrams and candles it would have been it would have been really trite. And instead, they just went this really original route, and I love it because I I get really stressed out whenever I see satanic cult content because I'm like I'm not at work, you know. <laughs> I, just, uh, <laughs> I hate it. I can't watch horror movies like that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I have I have a simple question that I could, I meant to look up and I didn't look up. When was this filmed? Because it, it quote unquote takes place in 1994, right? Like they're like in 1994 yeah. they're filming it, but like. Was it? Was it? It it can. It was shot very, very quickly, right? Like over a day or two. Is that right? Like mostly. So, like, do you know, like, what was it? Was it filmed in ninety nine? I'm just wondering about, like, when you bring up the themes of that year and like the what happened in culture. Like, I wonder what the actual time frame of the production was, and if you know that offhand, or if not, I could look it up while we're. I I meant to, because I'm wondering, because it feels both ninety nine and also ninety four in a way that like. Mm-hmm. Is is unique, and I don't know where it actually like exists time wise.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, I'm looking it up. I didn't know, but it is uh, 97, and it took eight days. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I think any part of the 90s is is definitely a satanic panic year uh option for content but for sure. yeah it's definitely like 97 i mean what do you guys think what was going on in 97
1: oh boy I was graduated from high school. Uh, I was eight. No, I was nine. Street? No, that was this a is, earlier. This
2: is you. Yeah, we're too, we were a lot. Yeah, alive. John, we're just... We're, we're, it's story time.
1: Please, John, Uncle John, please tell us what 1997 was like. I don't think a lot. I don't...
0: Uh, not a ton. When did
1: Princess Diana die? Was that 97 or was that before? That was 97. That was, yeah.
0: Yeah. 97. Yeah. I and John Denver. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. It was a fairly decently quiet year as far as I remember for like international uh events I guess sure mm-hmm. um yeah I, it's funny actually I you know what you say about the satanic panic stuff I think that's really interesting there's also a deep irony about that when it comes to the first sequel but we'll talk about that um in in, in, a, in a moment um we'll talk about the other which movies <laughs> yes. and and one's forthcoming. Um, But uh, question for you, do do you think that without the website and sci-fi stuff and the way that they very meticulously kind of went about promoting the movie as both like real and fake (laughs) at the same time, it's really interesting way, Um, like on its own, if, if people had just been like, here's this movie and just people went to go see it in a theater, is it? not effective is it more effective like what role do you think like how important is the supporting material and the world building and the narrative building and the folklore building beforehand to the experience of the movie and does the movie just work like as its own its own thing without all of that it might be like a uh, impossible to answer questions i might be trying to like proving a negative you know because like you can't go back and undo it that way but what's your what's your sense
2: Well, here's what I'll say. Um, I, I think that all the supporting stuff is what made it what it was, and it would have been a much more or much less memorable thing. But at the same time, I think that it stands on its own, especially because... And we haven't even talked about the way that it was filmed. Um, It was filmed in such a way that the terror, um, which we kind of talked about, the terror that we're seeing is at least like 50 to
1: 75%
2: (laughs) real. And this is because, um, the process was that, uh, for anyone who doesn't know the actors were one, um, just kind of given a bunch of camera equipment and a crash course and how to use it. So there's like a realistic, uh, amateur, to it. And also that they were um, not given any real formal script. What would happen is they would get GPS coordinates and they would hike to those coordinates. So they were really hiking. They were really um, out in the middle of nowhere and they would get to these GPS coordinates and they would have instructions, like very basic plot instructions, like, like you can't find the map you think Heather was the last one that had it. And then it was like, go for it. And then the crew was following them a little bit behind, and each night they were actually yelling and, and screaming, and they were actually screwing with their stuff, and they were leaving these <laughs> these uh, dolls that they made out in the woods and all these different uh, – you you know, they left these actual human teeth. Yes, real human teeth. Um in front of the tent, right? So it's like these things were really happening and I think it's it's such a bummer. I mean, it's not a bummer because it's a, that's this is also a cultural phenomenon, but scary movie so quickly made a joke of Heather Donahue's uh character and yeah. the um you know, the snot pouring out of her nose when she's crying <laughs> and apologizing to her mom and Josh's mom and uh Mike's mom and and it just really became this Thing that was a big joke because it's like, oh, that, that woman has snot running down her face, um, and she looks so bad. Uh, instead of wow, that's actually very incredible acting. Like this, the yeah. acting in the this movie. It's so funny because I got so many Raspberry Awards, and it was just kind of seen as not good acting. Where that's kind of impossible because it's literally not acting for a good (laughs) chunk of it. Um, But I think in that way that the terror and the, um, the story itself and the ambiguous nature of the legend that it presents and the choppy way that you just get these, these tiny pieces of this larger story um, that you never get to fit together. There's something about that. That's, that's just really good storytelling for horror and so I, I would have still loved it but there's no way that it would be what we think of today
0: yeah and you know like all that stuff first of all we can talk about the ethics of doing that oh um, god yeah <laughs> and am I right like do I remember that the actors were kind of pissed I mean like that they did one or two of them later kind of resent the whole experience and and, and kind of call it out. I can't remember. Like, I might be making that up. Yeah, but. I think
2: it really – I think it was really stressful. Like, people were, would call their homes and, like, wish yeah. their parents, like, the condolences on their dead kids <sighs> and, you know, it just was really – you know, everybody gets so weird about everything. So people were like, I'm going to look up the phone it's number. It's amazing yeah.
1: how how bad uh, dumb people can make things sometimes, right? It's, like,
2: it's a movie. What are you virus.
1: doing? It's, it's Why do you movie. think anyone
2: wants to hear from you too? Why do you think the parents want to hear from you?
1: It's, it's pretty so well weird. known by now that it's a movie. So let's just, uh, you know, not call the parents.
2: But I know Heather, like, pieced, the fuck out of everything and went and, uh, got herself a weed farm and wrote a little memoir about her weed farm. So, you know, that's, that's a nice relaxing thing to do.
0: And then one of them married Allison pill, yeah, so like,
2: which I didn't know until recently. I
0: didn't either. Yeah. Um, So that's wild. And then there's the third one who I don't know what became of him, but.
2: Well, if you want to talk about, I mean, just to go back to cannibal Holocaust for one second.
1: um, (laughs) I'm listening.
2: You're here for it. Um, So it, it, the ethics of that, I mean, is so much worse because actually the lead actor was told, Hey, we're going to film this movie. In South America, we're gonna fly you down to star in it, and he was like, "What's thrall?" And they were like, "Don't worry about it; it's totally fine." And he was like, "Okay, you're not gonna tell me what it is," and they like did not tell him until he was on location, and then you know, I mean, the things that happen in this movie, it is you know up to others to seek that out, but uh, yeah, so there is this trend of definitely bordering on abusive treatment i mean i don't even know if it's bordering on it um because what is consent when you don't really know what's gonna happen in the movie but uh right yeah so and like
1: what's what's remarkable about that kind of i mean it's a different era for sure but like In almost every way, it's less successful. Like Blair Witch not only is beloved and was financially successful, but like also literally created the genre, or at least if not created the found footage genre, but like cemented it as a thing that we are going to be either saddled with or get to see for for a long time, right? Like it was Mm -hmm. successful in like every metric. And like Cannibal Holocaust is wild, but it's just like a cult movie. Like all of these like extreme measures they took didn't really work. Like, it's no. not like people are like, Oh, that financially and commercially and critically successful film Cannibal Holocaust. Right. Like, it's just like, it's an oddity almost.
2: It's just a banned movie. It's just the most banned. <laughs> and that's what he did, you know? So I guess he lives in infamy. Um, and there's the also like does. the whole yeah. like
1: actual like abuse against animals and stuff like that in that movie oh, that yeah. like is real and like or- is, you know, <laughs> legitimate reasons to boycott that also like i saw that at the draft house like not the first time but i saw that at the draft house in austin at a feast where they pair uh, the movie with food and they had like turtle soup yeah. and stuff with it so like it was oh a whole my thing God. it was like a whole nope. it was wonderful nope. I, <laughs> i'm gonna see if i can find the menu and i will talk about that because this Dude, is also i a like kind of a horror but
2: not no no I could go, I definitely will never see Cannibal Holocaust again and wouldn't probably have seen it if it weren't for, uh, research, but I did a lot of, um, 10 seconds forward that you can do, you know, where you kind of skip through things really fast, but, uh, yeah.
1: Oh, I saw that on Valentine's day in 2015. That's
2: right. That's nice. That's nice.
1: Yeah. 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 I can't find the, uh, the menu, but I have the,
2: oh my God.
1: Yeah. Super cool. (laughs) Um
2: feel free to cut talk- whatever cannibal holocaust. No, no,
1: no. Cut no. <laughs> all the Blair Witch stuff. This is now just about cannibal holocaust.
0: Let's talk about Book of Shadows Blair Witch 2, um released 1 year after the Blair Witch project. Um Chelsea, have you seen it?
2: Yes, I actually can speak more to this than you would expect because um before <laughs> I had American hysteria, I did a different show that was um about sort of a meta look at true crime content ah. through talking to people who make it. And Joe Berlinger, who's the director of Book of Shadows, also is the documentarian behind um, Paradise Lost, the three documentaries about the West Memphis Three Um who were falsely imprisoned for an uh, apparent alleged satanic ritual that happened in the nineties. Um right. And uh, that ended up with three uh, children dead. So uh, it was a long, 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 you know, decade and a half, maybe even 20 years of the satanic panic. One of the worst iterations of what that meant uh, and the process of getting those, Uh, teenagers at the time uh, in their 30s, maybe by the end of it, Mm, Um, maybe just their late 20s. But, you know, by the end, it was uh, they were able to get them out. So uh, he came to Book of Shadows, which is definitely a much more. Satanic panic version uh-huh. uh, meta, and I haven't watched in a long time. So correct uh-huh. me if you've watched it recently, but a um, the plot, which I love, and I don't think it's. I mean, people say it's a really bad movie, but I I think it's pretty fun, um, and I enjoy it because it's you know it's meta. It's like kind of the the scream version of Blair Witch, and that you know people are going to go on a tour of the woods because they're fans of the Blair witch and then <laughs> right. they they meet their their fate um much like i wonder if the titanic that they have apparently been making for its next voyage will just sink We'll see. Do you know what I'm talking about? I keep thinking that just like, don't go on that Titanic, man.
0: Oh, never. <laughs> don't no. do it. What a terrible idea. Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah. I want to go on it, but just not the first time. Um, but anyway, it'll uh, sink. It'll <laughs> sink
1: on the one that you're on. Like yes. that's how it works. I that's feel great. like you got to yeah, go on the first one or never. Like you can't. You can't. No half measures, Walter. Like you got to go on the first one and then that's just true. hope for the best.
2: <laughs> I wonder if they have not enough lifeboats. Not enough by half. Um, but- <laughs> 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 anyway, uh, it's it is fun, and he. When I spoke to Joe Berlinger, he did not like how it turned out because he didn't have Final Cut, which is Mm. a woe of the industry. And uh, But he had a really interesting, you know, he didn't really like talking about it because I was like, you know, we talked about all of his serious work and then I was like, but what about Book of Shadows? And he was like, "Mm, I don't want to talk about Book of Shadows. But he definitely uh, said something about feeling like the original Blair Witch was partially responsible for what would become fake news as we say it today. And I thought that wow. was harsh, but, um, it was, uh, it is, ju- I mean, I don't find that to be true at all because the history of media hoaxes is, is as old as, you know, America itself. So, right, right, um, sure, I yeah. don't find, I don't think that's particularly true, but you know, I think what is really interesting is the satanic, imagery um ritual metal type vibe of um Blair Witch 2 probably a lot of it came from the director's own experience fighting against actual false accusations of the satanic panic
0: yeah that, that's why when i said when you were talking in the original about them sort of um avoiding the the pitfalls of satanic panic imagery and lore Uh, You know, the first thing I thought of was like, and then in the sequel, (laughs) they hire a very famous documentarian (laughs) to not make a documentary style sequel. That's all about like the satanic panic. And he's famous for making a documentary about the satanic panic. And it's like, how, like, what a weird upside down way of, I mean, it's so bizarre. Like just those, those facts on themselves is a super bizarre thing to say, right. As, as a, like, how are we going to. Follow this up. Yeah, I mean, one of those would be fine. Just be like, make a straight sequel movie that's kind of meta and is sort of not a documentary style and is just a teen horror whatever. You can do that, but like, why is Joe Berlinger there? And it's still something I've never quite understood. Like, whose idea was it to be like this guy should hire should direct this movie that is not at all in his wheelhouse and is nothing like the original movie? I, I that that just I can't get my head around. Or- do you know why he was hired
2: i don't i might have known at some point but I, <laughs> I don't remember now uh but yeah it was a strange choice but then he went on to make the movie that i never remember the name of the one that's like extremely horrible and wickedly vile or whatever about oh,
1: the zach efron Ed, movie yeah
2: the zach efron yeah. ted bundy uh piece so Go he... check out
1: Zack Attack for more information on that. We covered that movie over there. Mm, <laughs> He's a pretty good Ted Bundy, I think.
2: Yes, I he think was. he did good.
1: I agree. Was there another sequel between Book of Shadows and the 2016 Blair Witcher? no? No. Because when that movie came out, so I love Simon Barrett and Adam Wingard. They made two of my favorite movies of all time. They made The Guest and You're Next. And I was like, I am mm. all in for anything they do. And they were making they had announced this movie that they're making this movie like like called like the woods or something yeah I'm like, this it's is called the woods this is cool yeah
2: yes right. yes
1: and then it was like a comic con they're like just kidding it's called Blair Witch and you get to see it right now and I'm like that's kind of a bummer like and not <laughs> yeah. not because of any you know resentment yeah. or affinity or or dis- whatever to the Blair Witch but I'm like I would rather see them do like a unique original thing than like another and I remember people hated that movie and i i liked and i i watched it and i liked it and i like them and i think it's good but i was just like i don't know and i wonder i really do wonder if like how much of the because i think it's to some extent but how much of the resentment was because it was a sequel or a reboot or whatever you want to think about to the blair witch project like if it was own thing i don't know that there would have been the backlash that there was i don't know like i'm just i'm i'm fascinated by that whole like what that became and like the sort of unique marketing campaign around that movie too.
2: Wasn't it supposed to be a documentary about it or like a revelation of more of the footage or something? Cause I remember being really excited about it in a way that was like really different than it being another Blair Witch, right? Like it was supposed to be, I don't know. Cause then, yeah. And then it was suddenly just a Blair Witch, I guess, sequel. Um, Yeah. Sequel. And then I was just like, they gotta have a guest appearance. I just wanted that guest appearance so bad, even if it was just a flash. Um, but you know, no one wanted to do it. So I don't know. I don't remember it that well. I saw it one time and I, you know, I'm a purist, I guess, cause I was, um, I didn't hate it or anything. I just kind of was like, okay, yeah, that was and like think, a teen movie. Yeah, fun. and that's that's yeah.
1: that's where I have the benefit of like not having the affinity toward the first movie because I could kind of watch it like yeah. objectively. But I I don't I haven't listened to it. But I they are sort of known for having like really really good audio commentaries, and I believe that the Ooh. audio commentary for that is like particularly good because I think they talk about like the backlash they face. And I think that it's worth seeking out because I think they're very, they're both very talented. Like Simon Barrett's a great screenwriter, and I think Adam Wingard's a great filmmaker. And Adam Wingard actually involved in the Racer Trash Blair Witch PR project, like that whole like he did one of the segments <laughs> in that. So anyway, he he loves the franchise clearly, but like they have they have this like un, I don't know why they're able to – or why they do, it, but they're like they're very open and honest on their director's commentaries. And I, I remember there being, like, revelations on that one. So, you know, even if you didn't love that movie, I think it's worth seeking out the DVD and listening to the commentary, because, you know, they're just fascinating dudes who, like, are open in a way that I feel like most filmmakers kind of aren't, and, like, are told not to be, sort of, right? So. I
2: don't know. That sounds great. Yeah. And I would totally give it another chance. I, it did not anger me. You know what I mean? I didn't walk out being, like, <laughs> I hated that. Um which is which is good. I High say praised. for horror that's High good. Praised. Yeah.
0: <laughs> D- did not anger me. Yeah. Chelsea over right on there on the uh on the New York Times one page spread.
2: <laughs> did not anger me. <laughs>
0: Was not outwardly pissed off at this movie. Um just inwardly. Bo- <laughs> I hit it very well. Uh spinning off of something Joey said, um Chelsea one more thing I want to ask you before we go, which is So, Joey, you referred to this as a franchise. And what it is ultimately Did I is Is it? I don't know. Okay. But you said it's has more than two movies, so it's a franchise. And Um, there's more coming. Well, this is what I want to talk to you about, right? So I uh this is my question. So there's what you have is one unique movie that can't be replicated that was, you know, again, part of a whole multimedia project. Um, incredibly elaborate, and and with a ton of creative investment from like everybody involved, and then you have <laughs> Book of Shadows, and then, <laughs> and then and then you have you know 16 years later a, a weird kind of rebootish attempt at bringing some of that back that nobody really cared about, um, but I guess didn't make anybody angry. Um, so yeah, we we just got word that there. Is more in the works that there's some kind of Blair Witch reboot um, uh, project happening. And I guess what I'd ask you is like, what should they do with this? Like, nothing seems to have worked so far to either recapture the magic or to use the lore in a way that's effective and can create another really sort of, you know, notable movie that people are going to be um, really into. What would you do? Like how, how should they how should they go about rebooting this? Or like what should be next, do you think?
2: I'd say prequel. Like get back into the lore, you know, like yeah. even if it's like I would man, if it was me, I'd do like three different plot lines because, you know, it's like in the lore it's it's the time where they're talking about Rustin Parr the child murderer and i think that's like the 50s or something and they talk about you know a woman who was burned at the stake who is like perhaps the origin story of the Blair Witch and um, you know, maybe throw something modern in, you know, for the teens. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And for me, I need a party scene in every horror movie. Um, But I would also say bring back Eduardo Sanchez um, and what's the name? What's the other person's name? I always forget. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Um, And You know, because Eduardo Sanchez... Did you guys watch Yellow Jackets? Yeah. Yeah, so... He directed the finale actually of Yellow Jackets. Oh, so okay. cool, cool, cool. he's out here doing cool shit and I yeah. just think, you know, I mean, why not team up with your dudes and work together and uh, just give us like I don't like a period piece, but I would like this period piece.
0: <laughs> yeah, cuz there's plenty to mine really from so just much. take the sci-fi channel special and just like, yeah, pick that apart and and make make those movies. I totally agree with what? you.
1: Would you like a and i I don't know, maybe this is i I don't remember enough at the time but would you like like a meta a meta take on it or no because I guess i I don't know enough about Book of Shadows other than like what you guys just talked about, but I wonder if like they they go out to like dispel it or they go out to like I don't know, but I feel like i because i think I think the issues is you can't do the same thing as the first one right right? you definitely because can. you can't do yeah. it better. Even if you don't like love the first movie, I think for what it's trying to do, I think it's immensely successful. So you can't do the same thing. So you have to do something different.
2: Yeah. And I don't think you can do a found footage. Right. Again, I just don't think you can. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah, No. It wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Which I think I I think the 2016 was found footage. Maybe. I think it might have
2: been. I think it might have been found footage. Yeah. And it was Heather's little brother. Going to find her. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, like, I
1: wonder. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I hate well, that. So, so I, 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 while we were while we were talking, I found there's a 31 things we learned from Blair Witch commentary that I put in the chat here that we could take a look at. You guys check out later. But like, it feels like Lionsgate really kind of meddled with what they wanted to do. So like, it it, it clearly wasn't the movie that they necessarily wanted mm-hmm. to make. So I don't know. But I feel like you. I think you're right, Chelsea. You can't do found footage. You can't do the same thing. You can't really retread. I don't know what you do. I feel like.
2: Oh, here's an even better meta. Sorry, I just got excited No, 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 please. Like, um, about the making of it somehow, right? I don't know how that, nah. I didn't think that out too much, but.
0: <laughs> oh, kind of like a, um, uh, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, but for the Blair Witch You've Project. You literally yeah. said
2: the next thing I was going to say. Um, that movie's oh, crazy. I lo- no, Ooh, great. No, that's great. We're just on the New same Nightmare's page. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great yeah, it movie. Great
1: movie. I wonder, like, you know, yeah. <laughs> so like the so the the movie that we're talking about today from 1999 is about the people who find the footage and we're watching the footage like do you, so I feel like if I had any recollection of the 2016 movie or if I had seen Book of Shadows I would be able to say this with more authority but like what if it's just like about the people who find the footage ooh, mm-hmm. ooh.
2: which is again oh, a cannibal like Holocaust thing
1: <laughs> yes it is cannibal kind of Holocaust because there's also the thing of like. What I don't necessarily fully understand about this movie is that, like, at certain points, Heather's like, I-, I think I have enough footage. I'll figure it out. I'll edit it later. Whatever. And they're they're shooting on film or whatever. But we're also kind of led to believe that, like, what we're watching is their unedited footage. Like, there's – it's it can't be because, like, if there's, like, overlapping dialogue of people talking over other footage and, like, someone assembled mm-hmm. this in a mm-hmm. way –
2: I like that. And I don't really know if there's like a movie it. there, I like but I feel I like, like there's
1: something possible about like, so, okay, in 1995, they find the thing in the burned down building and blah, 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 and they're putting it together. Maybe. I don't know. There's also that like Archive 81 show on Netflix this year that like kind of got into that. Mm-hmm. Like, I was just like, this is such a cool premise. And like the, the show completely whiffed. And I was just like, oh, but like the idea of like finding footage, like literally finding found footage, right? And like doing something with it and like, compiling it or editing it or like telling a story out of it like maybe there's something there but i don't also don't know if there's like unless the unless the witch is like haunting the editor which is like why would they (laughs) well why would that happen (laughs) Blair Witch for the editor
2: yeah i don't know what (laughs) about if well here what if it's sort of like why did they leave out what they left out and what story would that have told like kind of a conspiracy type you know maybe there's more to it like these murders could have occurred, but there were like powerful shadow groups involved. There was like and, a cover-up. Yeah, up. a cover-up. And I mean, something that I think is one of the most beautiful details they wrote is that when they found the footage, it was buried beneath a, like a colonial wall and it like couldn't have gotten there. Like they were excavating this thing for whatever reason and it was like buried deep under. Oh, well, it's just so good. Like, it's so freaky that, like, it just, it's just so freaky to me. So, that finding that would be like, just like these, whoever finding VHS tapes. And they're just like, how did these get here? It's like physically impossible.
1: Maybe, and this is not what you were saying at all, but what you said reminded me maybe they build leftovers, John, and like they show the actual, like, the original building. It's like what became Miracle. (laughs) They show, like, Maybe the witch. I don't know. I love it.
0: I love it. I love it. Yeah. I think no matter what, I think what we have concluded here is that the three of us should write this. So No, I don't think
1: we've proved that at all. I think we have like a a bunch of half baked ideas. They're all awesome. we, We either need to get like real high and like fully flesh them out or just not do it at all because like, I don't think, no offense to any of us, myself mostly, I don't think anything we've said here has been even remotely good. Like, I think they've all like they're all like approaching interesting, and just like that's terrible. So, well, they're all the start of really good ideas. And maybe I will agree with that. One, they're know, the start of yeah. good ideas. Okay.
2: I mean, we're going to yeah. see what they come up with for the next yeah. series of films, and we'll see if it's better than what we came up with.
0: Or if it's anything like this, we'll just sue them. Yeah. Like you listen to the podcast, I think first. it's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let's finish up. So, Joey, um, do you want to ask Chelsea our final questions?
1: Oh yeah, so we have two questions, and I think the answer to the first one is obvious. But do you have a favorite movie from the year nineteen
2: ninety nine? Oh yeah, I mean, I yes, the Blair Witch Project. I would also say um, Drop Dead Gorgeous. Oh,
1: cool, mm-hmm. very, very good funny. answers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now. Is one of those your favorite movie of all time, or is your favorite movie of all time a different movie?
2: My favorite movie of all time is the Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that. So, <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, but uh, I mean, uh, in terms of horror favorites, uh, my favorite horror movies are Blair Witch Project, Stephen King's It from 1990, and um, Scream. So, yeah.
1: oh, when you guys talked about it. On the Killer Clowns episode of Hard to Believe, right? Is that oh, it? yeah, First? yes, yeah. of
2: course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. That was so yeah. fun. I had such a good time doing that with you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was so much fun. Cool. <laughs> Wait, so
1: what, what was the third? So you said Blair Witch, it, and what was the third one? Scream. Oh, Scream, yeah, of course. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Flawless. It's classic.
0: So, so I have a question. Okay. With Rocky Horror, do you like only, le- or so, Is part of your love of it like the participation thing where you throw stuff at the screen or do you just like watching it on its own? Like, because there's a lot, there's like two different versions of that movie, right? There's one where you're like dancing along and there's one where you're just watching at home. And
2: maybe, you know, I hadn't actually thought of the fact that these are both like particip- like these movies have its own world, and I guess that's obviously something that I am very fond of. Um, But yeah, I mean, I definitely started watching it at about – it was my dad's favorite movie, or it is my dad's favorite movie, so he showed me it when I was, I don't know, like 11 or 12 or something, and I just like absolutely Loved it. And I'm sure that had to do with like, being a queer kid and not fully understanding it. And it just like (laughs) resonating with me on some kind of cellular level. Um, But I love musicals as well. And I think the music in it is just absolutely fantastic and bizarre. And um, it's just pure, pure camp. um, And yeah, I just... I I love going to see it but it's not like I'm I'm not like a rocky horror kid. Um it just is Got my it. favorite movie and uh I'm too old to go to midnight showings anymore so I don't really oh go. I'm very tired most of the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: I'd be too old for like a 9 p.m. showing yeah. uh, at this point in my life, but
1: I do want I just, I, I, I ham, I ham fistedly jammed it in earlier, but I do want to shout out once again, racer trash who like the bunch of like <laughs> Hollywood editors who during the pandemic took a bunch of existing movies and recut them and cut in other movies and everything like that. And they did a very good job. Uh, it's, it's supremely weird and surreal. And like wildly different than the one I talk about when we release our Eyes Wide Shut episode. But their version of Blair which is actually longer than the actual Blair Witch project. <laughs> and it is it has almost nothing to do with this movie, even though it has everything to do with the movie. so it's all available for free on the internetarchive.org or whatever that website is. Uh, but look, Internet Archive Racer Trash, and they have BlairWitch.pr proj, like uh adobe premiere project and it's so weird and good and i highly recommend that and all their stuff so check that out whether you like blair witch or not if you're listening to this episode i think you would uh, appreciate at least checking out and there's some jacob's ladder stuff in there too for you john so uh
0: <laughs> the overall
1: menacing vibe of jacob's oh, ladder is, is somehow for some reason in blair witch.pr project so there you go that's my plug I'm a big fan of that movie for guy i have nothing to do with do it yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, Chelsea, you've already plugged your show. Do you want to plug anything else before we go?
2: No. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, but keep a lookout
0: for the sequels to Blair Witch that will be written by all of yes. us in the near future. I will plug that. A...
2: Yes. Um, but
0: Hopefully you'll be back uh, I would in the love future to for another episode. Yes. And, um, Anytime. It's having you. Awesome. Um, Chelsea, thanks. Joey, thanks. And we will see you guys in a couple weeks.
2: Thank you, guys.